Hello and welcome to the Mystery Room. I'm Shannon. And I'm Abby. And we are your hosts. Oh! <laughs> change it up. I like that. <laughs> We're now on our 11th episode. We didn't do something, anything special for our 10th one because we didn't actually realise it was our 10th one. But we did say once we hit 50th, we're going to party. Um, I'm holding you to that because I want to party. Yeah, okay. It'd probably just be me, you and the dogs, but <laughs> we'll have party. That's all right. That sounds great. Doesn't it? Yeah. We'll have a fiend party where everyone has to come dressed as like a detective. Oh. Sounds good, doesn't it? Bring your magnifying glasses. Mm. Oh my god, we'll do a Cluedo. We'll do like a live action Cluedo. <gasps> yes. Callum, your boyfriend, can be the victim. <laughs> because then it could be anyone. I thought it was for another reason. No, no I just thought it could be because, you know, yeah. ev- everyone's got a motive. Yep, I like the sound of that. Thank you. Okay. So we've changed our days to recording now. So we used to record on a Thursday evening, but we've now changed to a Sunday. So we literally only recorded a case three days ago, and now we're recording Well, we've done a one. lot. But yesterday, me and Abby, we had this event down where we live called The Big Picnic. And me and Abby went down there, and we both took a bottle of wine each. Yeah. So basically, we had a bottle of wine each for ourselves. And then she had a Heineken, I had a beer Moretti. And then somebody was going around giving out leaflets for a club night. Anyway, he had a bottle of wine and I was like, can I have a bit? So he gave us a glass of wine each as well, so. Yeah, it wasn't the nicest, but I appreciate the fact that he gave us But he did open it in front of her so you could hear it crack. So it's not, <laughs> it's not like I'm taking half drunk bottles of wine from some random, like it, he yeah. opened it in front of us. Yeah. It's just, um, I didn't, I didn't really, I wasn't, it was a bit dirty, it was a bit dirty, it wasn't very nice. Yeah, I think it was, I'm not, obviously I'm not, I have nothing against cheap wine, because we love cheap wine, but. There's cheap wine actually not too bad. And yeah. And there's, there's cheap, cheap wine that's just, makes you just think you're drinking petrol, is nasty. <laughs> you experience that a lot. I do, I just think wine is just a very petrol drink. I'd say it starts off nice, and the more you drink, the worse it gets. So. 100%. Yeah, and then today we had a barbecue before it started to rain. Good timing that was because it's absolutely pissing it down now. Mm. We've also had to change where we record, so yes, we're no longer in our studio. Shocking. So if you hear the dogs, we do apologise. Yeah, we have some loud snorers in the room. On to our wine today. We are drinking Co-op's California Pink Zinfandel Rosé. We love a good Zinfandel, don't we? We do. We do. It's just very sweet. And this one is actually really nice. It's like one of the cheapest wine. wines they do in co-op. It's very nice. I was expecting it to be a bit minging, but it's actually really nice. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoy yeah. it. I still feel a bit rough since yesterday, because me and Abby <laughs> got very, very drunk. We did. And we were just laid in this field, whilst there's like people trying to sing. We were just looking up at the sky, and at one minute I was just like, we should probably go home now. <laughs> but I don't know if anyone else gets this, but... When you've had a bit of drink, I never sleep through the night. Like, I always yes. wake up. Yeah, I do. Like, every hour, every other hour, I wake up. Yeah. And then this morning, me and Abby had to get up at half six because we went and did a car boot sale. So <laughs> We're we, troopers. We yeah, are. <laughs> honestly, so tired. I know. I find an interrupted sleep. It's honestly, yeah. I hate it. I hate like, it. Right now, I could just honestly just fall back to sleep. Yeah. But dedicated to the pod. Yeah. Anyway, so let's get on with today's yes so i found this case because i just i try to look for unsolved cases and i don't i don't go we don't go for very famous ones we try not to because we want to go for ones that people really 
haven't heard of or doesn't get a lot of attention. So I found this one, which is based in Canada. On the 18th of December 1981, Dale Smith was out looking for Christmas trees with his family. When they decided not to buy one from a lot, they went into a remote wooded area in Maddox Cove in St John's in Canada. Whilst trudging through the snow, Dale noticed some footprints, as well as what appeared to be a mannequin lying on the surface. However, he soon realised that this wasn't a mannequin, but a lifeless human body. The corpse of Dana Bradley. Dana Bradley was born on July 24th, 1967, in St John's, Newfoundland in Canada. She was raised by her mum Dawn and stepdad Jeff Levitz. She was in ninth grade, which is year 10 for those in the UK, and attended I.J. Sampson Junior High School. She was known to be a very clever student and was very passionate about her art. She also apparently had a lot of friends and was loved by her peers. On the evening of the 14th of December... I think it's really shit when people die in December. Yeah, it's close to Christmas. Yeah, because it just makes people feel like shit, doesn't it, really? So on the evening of the 14th of December, 1981, Dana went to catch a bus on Topsail Road in St John's after going to a friend's house after school for a few hours. Her friend's house was just off of Topsail Road, so she wouldn't have to walk far. She was on her way home to a family party, and she called to tell them that she would be home at 5.30pm. She waited at the bus stop, but then decided to hitchhike. Oh, oh my god. What is it with people in hitchhiking? <laughs> oh, I, don't think I, know. We t- I don't think we told them the story. So, like, last week when we went to Wales, we went to Dobby's Grave at Freshwater West, and on the way back, there's some random bloke just hitchhiking in the middle, literally in the middle of nowhere. Was he? Yes, like a really, really like weird bloke. Oh. And I was thinking, one hundred percent, get in his my car, and you're gonna kill us all. <laughs> Honestly, dodgy. I would never ever pick up a hitchhiker, and I would never ever hitchhike. I don't know why people still do it. Oh, it's crazy. There's like serial killers everywhere now. Well, I'd say there was more back then because it was obviously easier, to, a bit easier to get away with. But now... But my like, friend, she gave someone a lift from, back from Cardiff because she was going the same way. That's generous. I know, I wouldn't do that. No. Anyway, he put his bag in the boot and they started driving and he just turned to her and he said, he said like something really weird like, um, would you like your throat slit or something like that? And she was just like... I'm sorry? Yeah, that's what she was like. Sorry, what? And he's like, oh, nothing, nothing. And then he asked her again. And then, what the fuck? yeah, honestly. And then she was like, oh my God, there's something wrong with my like, A few minutes later, she was like, oh, there's something wrong with my car. She pulled over and she was like, oh, can you just get out and have a look? So. He tell, like, tell me straight No, no, no. At first she was like, he was like, no, there's nothing wrong with it. Carry on driving. And she was like, no, no, seriously, please can you have a look? Because if there's something wrong with my car, we're going to have to get towed. Anyway, he got out. She drove off and left him. Like, Went to the police that? station. They opened the bag that you put in the boot, and there was a um, axe in there. No. Yes. That's so Isn't that scary. Spooky? Imagine if she didn't pull over. Yeah. Imagine. Why would you? I'm sorry, but if you're gonna go kill someone, you go to. Would you like your throat slit? <laughs> yeah. You're sort of landing yourself in it. Yeah. There, like, that is so weird. Anyway. You're I, begging to be known that you're a serial killer. So I'm sorry, but back then I get a bit of public transport's a little bit scarce, but nowadays there's public transport. Get a bus. That's so scary. Isn't that scary? I can't believe that happened. Like, you, you hear it happen to other people, but you don't think it happened to... people you know. Yeah. This night, Harry Smeaton and his brother John were selling Christmas trees by the bus stop. Due to slow business, the brothers had been sitting in the truck, people watching. They allegedly saw Dana at 5.20pm 
getting into a beige four-door Dodge Dart or Plymouth Valiant with a male driver. I did have to Google these cars because I have no idea what they are, never heard of them, but they are very old cars. They also said that they remembered that the male had to open the passenger side door from the inside due to a broken handle. Frustratingly, the brothers didn't remember the registration of the car, but that it was very rusty. Apparently, hitchhiking was a common occurrence in the area at this time. Sadly, as I think you can all guess, Dana didn't make it home this night, and she was never seen again. When she did not arrive home, the family grew concerned, especially as Dana had called her family just before leaving her friend's house. This is when they reported her missing to the Royal Newfoundland Police Department. The police began an investigation to look for Dana. Her case drew a lot of media attention. As well as publishing her picture, news outlets also posted the cowboy boots and blue pants she was wearing the day she disappeared. A sketch was also drawn of the man last seen with Dana, which was widely circulated. Four days later, her remains were found by Dale Smith. Dale's wife told him that she believed it was Dana. The couple took their children back to their truck so they wouldn't see the horrific sight of Dana's poor, limp body. Dale flagged down a man nearby and asked if he would keep an eye on the area whilst Dale went home to call the police. When the police arrived, it didn't take long for them to start the investigation into the crime scene. They searched the nearby woods, looking for anything that may relate to the case. The area her body was discovered was miles away from where she was picked up. She was laid out in a, quote, burial fashion, and her school books had been tucked under her arm, which led police to believe that the killer was remorseful. The principal of Dana's school at the time was getting ready to chaperone a dance at the school when the news broke of her murder. He, along with other teachers, offered support to students. The autopsy of her body showed she had suffered multiple school fractures from a blunt object and she had been sexually assaulted. The examiner also concluded that she was likely killed on the same day she disappeared. The investigation has been described as the most expensive and exhaustive murder investigation in Canadian history. Thousands of tips were received and investigated, with hundreds of people being interviewed. More than 800 cars matching the description of the suspect's vehicle was also examined. For a few years after the murder, things were quiet. Police continued to investigate tips coming in, but there were no major breakthroughs. In 1982, a man was arrested in relation to the case. He was sentenced to nine months after repeatedly harassing Dana's family home with phone calls about her murder. Then, in 1986, the chief inspector in the case received a note that linked a man named David Summerton to Dana's murder. David was an ex-convict, and when confronted, he admitted to killing her. He later claimed that this confession was coerced after spending 18 hours in confinement and the murder charges were halted. He was interrogated for those 18 hours and had a history of substance abuse and mental illness. After being interviewed by the media, David said, quote, I was on the verge of flipping out on them and I was in a suicidal state in the room. I said, have me charged or get me out of this room. And then I started telling them where the car was. Then I told them where the murder weapon was. I was doing anything to get them to back off and get me out of that room, including confessing. He was later convicted of public mischief in relation to the false confession and sentenced to two years in prison. Why would you confess to something you didn't do? Well, he said it was to get them off his back and so he could get out that room. 
he was abusing substances as well as the fact that he had mental health issues as it goes on it kind of infuriates me a bit like there's a bit more not about him but just about crappy this police force yeah (laughs) (laughs) of course In 1991, the Newfoundland Broadcasting Corporation had the Dana Bradley case reenacted and played it on the local news. They did this in the hopes that it might jog someone's memory. Then, in 2003, an author named Darren McGrath published a book about the case called Hitching a Ride, The Unsolved Murder of Dana Bradley. In 2006, the police force said that they were still receiving tips about Dana's case every year, approximately 50 tips annually all officers apparently follow every available need i don't believe that i don't that's a little rubbish yeah like that that'd be a lot of work as well they would turn around and just be like oh no there's another lead yeah in 2014 a man named robert came forward to claim that he had witnessed dana's death when he was very young he has said that he had repressed the memory but had since remembered the traumatic event He explained that he and his four-year-old brother had been in the vehicle with Dana when she'd been abducted in 1981. Apparently, the car belonged to his dad, but was being driven by a convicted paedophile named Thomas Carey. The story Robert had told was that Carey had picked up Dana when she was trying to get a lift home, and she had been comfortable getting into the vehicle with him because of two young children in the back, Robert and his brother. She had talked to them during the drive and had given Carrie her address. However, she became frightened when he kept driving and finally stopped at a heavily wooded area. It was there that Carrie had tried to put the moves on her and Bradley had fought back. He ended up hitting her over the head with a tire iron and pushing her body in the trunk of his car. Carrie then drove to Maddox Cove and dumped her body there, washing her face and putting her school books under her arm. Carrie had said that he had hoped the young girl would wake up and go to school the next day. Then, he had taken the vehicle to a property on Whitless Bay and had buried it. I don't understand that. Why did he say he had hoped that the young girl would wake up and go to school the next day? Like, surely he must have known she was dead. Yeah. But I don't get that. He hit her around the head of a tyre iron. I don't think she's going to be getting back up. Robert had said that he tried to come forward in 2011 but investigators refused to believe his story. And even when he came forward in 2014, they were still suspicious. This was because the police said that his version of events differed from the evidence that they had collected. In 2016, members of a Facebook group called Justice for Dana Bradley fought to have two vehicles dug up from Whitless Bay area. One of the vehicles belonged to Robert's father and he believed it was the same vehicle Dana had been put into the back of after she was murdered. The members believed Robert's story and hired their own forensic team after the police force refused to assist. After the excavation of the vehicles, it was determined that neither of the vehicles could be used as evidence due to the fact that it had been way too long. They were in poor condition after being underground for over 30 years This meant that if there were any DNA that could point in the direction of a suspect, it was highly likely due to the sewage runoff that would be contaminated. The Facebook group were deeply saddened by this. In May 2016, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police made a statement claiming that they had discovered new DNA evidence in Dana's case. They had retested the DNA samples they got in 1981, which pointed to an unknown male suspect. They weren't able to determine his identity, 
However, the DNA was able to rule out two other suspects who had previously been connected with the case. One of these people was Thomas Carey. David Somerton was interviewed again and was even willing to provide a new DNA sample to the police, although he needed assurance by his lawyers that his rights would be protected as he didn't trust the police anymore. As of 2022, Dana's case remains unsolved and she would be 55 years old now. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police have been interviewed many times about the case and on the 30th anniversary of the case, they declined, stating, quote, the importance of the integrity in this investigation. So just an update about Dale Smith, the man who found Dana's body. He had only been to the crime scene twice since he'd found the girl's body and both times were for interviews with the media. Once within the mid-90s and the second time was in 2011 with the reporter for The Telegram. Although Dale Smith actively avoids the area where he found Dana's remains, the young murder victim is never far from his family's minds. Every Christmas, Dale and his wife discuss the Dana Bradley case and speak about how the murderer got away with the horrific crime. As Dale's twins, a boy and a girl, grew older, he started to become overprotected of them as the killer was still out there. He feared especially for his daughter's safety, fearing that she might end up the same way that Dana had. Though paranoid that something might happen to his young children, Dale knew that he needed to allow his children room to grow up and give them space. Do you know what? I can kind of understand why he felt like that. Because oh, yeah. he found the body. That's horrific. That's yeah. terrifying. And that's something you'll never ever get out of your head. No. Seeing a dead body will never ever go out of your head. No. So we're on to our theories now. So I have a couple that I think. Okay. But I was looking into other disappearances at the time yeah and there was quite a few around a few years like before and after her disappearance so in the days surrounding the christmas holidays other young young women disappeared it is believed that sharon drover intended to hitchhike home on december 29th 1978 before disappearing henrietta millick went missing after being harassed at a bar on december 10th 1982 and Pamela Asprey went missing after getting into a car on November 12th, 1984. And another young woman went missing after getting into a vehicle on November 12th, 1984. I didn't actually look into it. I probably should have. I didn't actually look into it. They were unsolved. So there could be a serial killer on the loose. Yes. That's a big theory for me. And considering that a couple of those were hitchhikers. Yeah, it could be. There mm. could be a serial killer. Yeah. Going after young women. Yeah. Because he probably had a traumatic childhood where his mother didn't love him. And then he feels like he needs... He hates women. Yeah, basically. That's where all this stuff comes from. They have mummy problems. A lot of serial killers who kill loads of women... Have an issue with their mother. Or like a woman figure in their life. Yes. Another thing I thought of was... I know she was trying to hitchhike, but could it have been someone that she knew? Maybe like an older man around where she lives. Because they do say, like, most people that get murdered, like, they know them. Mm -hmm. Being murdered by a stranger is rare. Yeah. Like, you're more likely to be killed by someone you know. So, it could have been a similar situation with what Robert said about Thomas Carey. He tried to sexually assault her. She fought back, and then he was like, nope. It's hard to believe, because it's like, is he just having, like, false memories? Because that just happened. Or is he just saying the story... Because he wants a bit of fame. Yeah. It sounds I... really weird because there's not really anyone out there who's like, yes, yeah, definitely you. 
Right, if I was a young child and I was in the back of the car and the person I was with driving battered some woman, raped her and then left her there, I'd probably go into school the next day and tell my teacher. <laughs> well, you would, because yeah, you're a child, you yeah. don't understand. You're like, oh, this has happened. And if he was that sick and twisted, he would have killed them all. He wouldn't have just killed her with the other two, with the two boys in the car. Yeah. He wouldn't. No, no, I know. And I'm, this is why I'm sort of struggling to believe that Robert's story is true. True, yeah. No, I, I do just, I'm not sure, I don't believe his story personally. Maybe there is a serial killer on the loose. Probably not on the loose anymore. He is he's probably dead but maybe there was a serial killer on the loose yeah maybe he moved somewhere else because wasn't there another case about this guy who's a taxi driver and he kept killing people in alaska so yeah what's your theory i want to think there's a serial killer but i do think if there's a serial killer you're more likely to catch a serial killer than like yeah. a one-time kill that's the only thing because they start getting lazy yeah and then they start getting a first for it and they want more and more and it starts getting more and more eventually because it's weird that it just stopped yeah. Like, why did it just stop? Unless yeah. he moved and went somewhere else and then did it more. I reckon it's someone she knew. Yeah. I'm, I I'm going with a, that. I'm going to say it's a teacher at her school. Oh, that's very specific. Yeah. Why? Let's know. <laughs> just got that cut Because feeling. I just have this feeling that she probably got into someone's car that she trusts, that she knows. And what's more mm. trustworthy than a teacher? Or a family friend. Yeah. But the thing with the teachers is, there was a lot of pedos back in the day, weren't there? Like, they didn't really have DBS checks and stuff like that back in the day. So I just sit there and think, maybe a teacher took fancy to her. I hate doing paedophile cases. It actually makes me feel sick to think about. But you know what? Considering we do all these cases, I don't think we react too badly to them. Like, I, I know a lot of people struggle to talk about them. Whereas I want people to know about them, and maybe if it's a bit more closer to home, like I actually knew the person, maybe I'd be a bit more. Could you cover the James Bolger case? Well, no, because I know who did it. No, I know. No, what I'm saying is, could you easily talk about it? Is it like? Well, yeah, because I would like people to know what a sick, twisted bloke he is. I actually, I I think I'd cry. But then it's also like I'm one of these people that I don't think John Venables is worth talking about. No. Or like he deserves a time of day to talk about. No, no. Not at all. So I wouldn't want to talk about that case anyway, because I don't think... Because people don't focus on... The victims. Yeah, they just focus on the murderer, and it's like... Yeah. My opinion is, he's dirty, he doesn't... shouldn't even be in the... He shouldn't even be able to breathe the same air that I breathe. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it, it actually angers me to think about it. But... But no, I reckon, teacher, she got in the car, he fancied her, she didn't want anything to do with it, he raped her, and then because she was, like, going to tell, he beats mm-hmm. her stuff. Yeah, someone she definitely knew. He tried to get on with her. She obviously tried to fight back and then, yeah, killed her to stop her from saying anything. As a young girl, I wouldn't get in the car with a bloke on my own. No, but I, I back in those days thing. it was normal. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah. I don't understand. Like, nowadays we're like, wouldn't do that. Wouldn't yeah. Do that. Why should mum and dad not come to get you? That's so Well, she was meant to get the bus, wasn't she? And then she was like, mm, I fancy hitchhiking. Not going to lie, I did do that at 13 years old. What, you hitchhiked? Yeah. With who? My friend. We tried walking another town and we realised we weren't going to make it in time before it got dark. So we were like, shit, we don't really want to walk all this way in the dark. So we were like, we're just going to have to get a lift from someone. Luckily, it was a taxi driver that pulled over for us and knew my friend's parents. You're an idiot. I didn't want to do it. I was like, I don't want to do this, but I, I couldn't think of any other choice. And my phone was dead. That was... I never, ever got in someone else's car that I didn't know. That's very sensible of you. I know. Very sensible. 
And that's why I'm still alive today. <laughs> I'm surprised. Actually, no, do you know what? I'm actually surprised. The amount of crap I did at uni. I got a taxi on my own one night. Yeah, I went I've, to never some ran- I've never do that now. I went to some random's house. Oh, yeah, I've done that once. Yeah, I just got a taxi. I was literally, I was so out of my face. I walked past Scotty T from Geordie Shore, apparently. He asked if I was alright, and I just fell into him. He was like, Yeah, I'm good, mate. See you later. Because I didn't know who it was. That's how drunk I was. I can't remember seeing him. He fell into Scotty T and didn't realise it was him. Yeah, and then I got into a taxi and just went to some random's house. Stayed there tonight. Oh, God. That's what I mean. I'm surprised I've not died. It's actually really scary to think about. Like, all that stuff we did back then, I would never, ever do now. I'm so stupid. I'm actually so stupid. Learn from the mistakes. So that's it for today's case. I think it was a relatively short one, mainly because it's so old. Not really a lot of evidence or suspects came from this. But, again, it's not not a well-known one. And I like to cover the not well-known ones because it's important to spread awareness about these non-famous unsolved cases. Because you never know. You might jog someone's memory. Yeah, and that's what I mean. You might, someone might sit there going, I remember that case. Yeah. I remember seeing something. So, no, I get it. I like it. So, I haven't actually done this before. But I think it's good to add into these unsolved cases. But for anyone who is American-based, Canadian-based, or anyone from around the world that was in Canada around that time, you can actually contact the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. It's an American number at 709-772-5400. Or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. If you remember anything or just have any information. I think it's, it's now important to do that at the end of every case. Right, well, I hope you have a good week and yeah. a nice weekend. And yeah. you will hear from us again next week. Hope you have a nice weekend. Enjoy. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.